Welcome to 120 Outdoors, where we talk about how to enjoy the outdoor opportunities we all have close to home. If you love all things outdoors, this podcast is for you to get out and get more out of it. Hi, and welcome to 120 Outdoors. My name is Chris DePaula. And I'm Don Klaus. Today, I have to start by doing a bit of review. Uh, For listeners who have been with us, they know what our 120 Outdoors is all about. For those who may be just joining us, uh, 120 Outdoors represents things you can do close to home. 120 miles, two hours, things close to home. Things close to home are a little bit important to us right now. <laughs> That's for sure. So, Chris, have you bought any gasoline lately? Actually, today it was under $5 for the first time in, what, two weeks or something. But, boy, it's been uh, a sticker shock. And um, you know what the marine fuel was. I, in some of the marinas I fished out of uh, a few weeks ago, we were Painful. talking yeah, seven ninety five a gallon, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I didn't buy it there. But just to show you, it's, uh, I think it's getting out of hand. But you're right. The 120 concept is in full swing. In my opinion, it's perfect timing. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I think there's a very good reason to yeah. stay, stay close to home. Yeah. And um, today we have a, a story to offer that uh, is a, one of the great places close to home. Uh, it's not just a great place that's uh, within reach for not just for us, but for a, a large sector of population. But it's also one of the great restoration stories uh, in our country. Yeah. And that is uh, the Cuyahoga River story. Yeah. It is a great story, too. And, and Don, you and I grew up, and I remember hearing about the river catching fire, you know, back in the 60s. Um, and it was, at that time, I just, I never thought we'd, we'd be doing a complete 180 and be where we are today. Um, it's amazing what they have done there and the opportunities for everybody that loves to fish, loves to kayak, loves to whatever you are in the outdoors, hunt, whatever. There's opportunities all over the place. And I think it's important to mention, too, not only did they have such a great success here with the Cuyahoga River near Cleveland, uh, but there's places all over the Great Lakes and throughout the country where we've had a lot of success uh, with these restoration efforts. You know, in Buffalo, I can mention Milwaukee, I know. Um, Minneapolis, there's a lot of cities that have really worked hard to, um, to clean the water. Um, and I think that Great Lakes Protection Act has made a big difference, um, especially for us around the Great Lakes. So, yeah, I'm lo- really looking forward to the show today, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, spectacular that, it's, that it's, um, it's a great restoration story. But not only that, it's just a spectacular destination right now. Yeah. So, um, to give us a little background on that restoration, we could... Let's just jump right to the interview. Yeah, get to our guests. Okay, here we go. First guest is Jennifer Greiser. From the, she's a director of natural resources at the Cleveland Metro Parks, and she's also the chair for the Cuyahoga River Area of Concern on the advisory committee. And our other guest is Mike Durkalak, and Mike is the aquatic biologist for the Cleveland Metro Parks. So welcome to the show to both of you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, Chris and I have great interest in uh, in the area that you guys are working on, uh, the Cuyahoga River. Uh, it's within reach to us, and that's super important these days and, and any time, really. So uh, a lot of people have heard some things about the Cuyahoga, but 
but we want to get it straight from you to to hear exactly uh, the story on it. So I, I guess we should start with uh, with the the story on the river as it's existed for. Uh, I, uh, we know where it's at now, but maybe start us out with where it started. Yeah, I, I can feel that one. Um, you know, hi- historically, the river is was certainly important to the native peoples of the region, um, as well as the fishery it, it offered, um, as well as some of the early settlers. Um, it's surprisingly, as far as really um, good details on the fish community, kind of early European settlement and, of course, pre-European settlement, those details are surprisingly lacking. So some of what we can deduce is, is more speculating, but feel, you know, pretty strongly, you know, based on what we have with the similar-sized Grand River over towards, you know, Fairport and Painesville, Ohio, which has never been industrialized, although that's not pristine. It's probably a good reflection of what the Cuyahoga probably offered as far as fish community, you know, in the early years. And, um, you know, just based on cobbling things together, we were probably looking at, you know, around 100 species of native fish in the river originally, um, you know, a vibrant fish community, you know, with, with all kinds of forage species, not, you know, the darters, minnows, suckers, but also, you know, um, sport fish species that are really popular today, walleye, northern pike muskie, and, um, you know, I'll touch on some other species are certainly back in the river now, don't want to get ahead of ourselves. And then one really cool fish that hasn't been seen in the river for a long time where there were even lake sturgeon in, in the Cuyahoga River, and that's a native currently endangered long-lived species that grows, you know, up to six feet long. So, um, you know, again, looking at the 700-square-mile drainage area of the Grand River, and the 800-square-mile drainage of the Cuyahoga River. I would say they were probably pretty comparable, you know, if you were to look at, you know, the Cuyahoga going back, you know, 200 years was probably similar and probably even a little bit more vibrant than the Grand River would be today. Hmm. Very good. Now, um, you'd mentioned that the Grand River was not industrialized uh, and developed. We we know well that the Cuyahoga was, so I guess— Maybe that's the the start of our part two and uh, what happened. Yeah, the dark years, I guess you could call it. <laughs> yeah, so um, Cleveland saw a resurgence in the industrial era. Uh, we had the boom of the steel mills and uh, our industry along the river. Certainly, it's it's a, a great way to set up industry, accessing the water for processing materials, but also um, certainly the, the shipping industry and the, the easy access of bringing raw materials from the northern Great Lakes down to Lake Erie to, to produce products like steel. And um, in that era, back from the 1920s to the 1960s, uh, these industries were really turning their back on the river and, and um, not only using it for a transportation route, but also for a disposal route. And that led to the high degree of pollution that um, came to label Cleveland as the mistake on the lake. And 50 years later, um, we're really excited to talk about where we've come since since that labeling. But um, it really was the last burning of the Cuyahoga River in 1969 
um, that was a call, not just locally, but really nationally, to, to clean up our waterways. Now, as I understand that that was pretty significant in the development uh, or the call to action, I guess, for the Clean Water Act. Is that, am I correct on that? You are absolutely correct. Um, yes, uh, the Clean Water Act was established in 1972. So we are this year celebrating the 50th anniversary of that really momentous um, change in policy and regulation of pollutant discharges, um, funding the construction of sewage treatment plants, and um, setting water quality standards for contaminants. Um, we've we've come a long way, and it and it really did uh, initially take some of those those hard regulations and those uh, requirements to change our practices uh, so that we could clean up our waterways, not only in Cleveland but but throughout the country. Hey, Jen, in prepping for this uh, podcast today, I I found an article uh, dated back to 2019 where the Cuyahoga was named the River of the Year uh, for 50 years of environmental resurgence. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about what are some of the things that that, uh, you folks have done with the the Cuyahoga River area of concern? Um, I know dam removal was one of the key factors. Is there anything else that you could share with our listeners that you think was a a big contributor to that? Sure. Um, Well, let me kind of dial back. You mentioned the area of concern program. Mm -hmm. Um, That was set up by U.S. EPA and Canada back in the late 1980s. Uh, and it really was acknowledging the industrial pollution throughout the Great Lakes and identified 43 of those areas of concern, the Cuyahoga River being one, and there were actually three others for the state of Ohio, Maumee River, Black River, and the Ashtabula River. And um, there were 14 potential impairments that any of these areas of concern could have. And those were related to um, wildlife populations, fish populations, um, aquatic insect populations and their habitat, but also our human uses of of these waterways, Um, drinking water, um, fish consumption, basic aesthetics, uh, beach uh, access, et cetera. And uh, so the Cuyahoga the local uh, committee working on establishing this area of concern for the Cuyahoga said that we had 10 of those impairments. Um, And one of those actually being specific to the Cuyahoga um, was uh, public access. And I think that was really such a great idea for the, the local committee to acknowledge that if we went through all of these cleanup activities, and people couldn't get to the river, then what's the point? That's a great, um, that's a great point. Yeah. Very true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so that was, I mean, we have dedicated people on our advisory committee today that have been involved since the beginning. And it's been wonderful to have their, their insight and their historical knowledge um, being involved with this and, and just their dedication is awe inspiring. Um, so, that was in the 1980s, and I, I mentioned the importance of those initial um, kind of regulations So, um, and, and highlighted some of that industrial impact, but we should also acknowledge the, the sewage impact as well. 
the, the, there weren't the, the treatment systems that we see today. And so it really was the Clean, Clean Water Act that established um, the construction of those sewage treatment plants. And now we're fortunate in Northeast Ohio to have the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District, who's also celebrating their 50th anniversary this year, um, that do such a wonderful job of, of managing um, sanitary sewer and, and constantly making improvements. And we can talk a little bit more about that. So, so the industrial cleanup, the sewage cleanup have been really, really excellent. And then you alluded to some of the more, um, after we get those pollutants out, then what are some of the other kind of physical restorations mm -hmm. like dam removals? So we fast forward then to 2009. Um, other than those regulatory activities, there wasn't a whole lot else going on until the establishment of the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative. And that really set aside federal funding to um, support these restoration activities. And so that's when we saw in 2005 the first dam removal in the city of Kent. And it really was Ohio Environmental Protection Agency that, that led the way with that dam removal project. Um, so that was just the, the first, and, and that was a lot of public meetings and conversations and, um, you know, trying to make the case for dam removal and how it can improve um, river processes and the ecology. And since that time now, we've seen um, a, a, a number of additional dam removals in Monroe Falls, Cuyahoga Falls, and then most recently in Cuyahoga Valley National Park in the Brecksville area, um, the canal diversion dam removal, which happened in um, 2020. And uh, maybe I'll pause and, and kick it over to Mike to speak a little bit about um, some of the observations after those dam removals took place. Yeah, thanks, Jen. So those are some of the activities which started to nudge the river back in the right direction. And one really excellent measuring stick for you know recovery of a waterway is just fish population. And that's not just opinion. That's recognized by Ohio EPA and, and some of the metrics they use that correlate water quality to fish and invertebrate community. So I mentioned pre-early European settlement, pre-European settlement. We can speculate. We don't know a lot of super clear details about the, what the fish population in the river was. But, you know, from, you know, the, the late 60s, kind of getting into that era of just, you know, environmental abuse of the river and then the public recognition that something was wrong and needed to be done through today, we have excellent data. So that paints a really clear picture that getting into the late 60s, right before the Clean Water Act was catalyzed, um, the fish community throughout the entire Cuyahoga River, not even just like hot spots down by downtown Cleveland, but the whole river, the IBI, that's the Index of Biotic Integrity that biologists like myself use for, for correlating fish communities to water quality, it was scoring at its lowest possible scores. And that's not even an exaggeration. It was literally bottoming out, um, you were looking at just uh, an entire population of fish that were pollution tolerant, um, probably a lot, not, well, I shouldn't say probably, many non-native such as common carp, um, native channel catfish and white suckers that tolerate pollution. The, the whole fish community was, was quite impaired. So um, 
you start to see these changes from the regulatory stuff like the Clean Water Act on through the dam removals that Jen started to, to mention. And um, what's been really neat when you follow the, the EPA data between 1967 was, was one checkpoint, getting into the mid-80s, mid-90s, uh, early 2000s up through today. It has been consistent and, and dramatic improvement in the fish community over that time. And um, one really neat statistic, I mentioned probably speculation there were probably about 100 species of fish in, in the river pre-European settlement. Mm-hmm. Um, what we do know, thanks to our sewer district and EPA colleagues, is we have at least 72 species in the river today. And what's exciting, among those 72 species, we have a lot of species that do not tolerate pollution. Um, In fact, 21 species of those 72 are categorized as either sensitive to pollution or moderately sensitive. So that would have never flied late 60s, early 70s, and it's just a real indicator of where we are today. In fact, Ohio EPA is, is considering currently um, relabeling several segments of the river as exceptional warm water habitat, which means not only is it meeting the the federal warm water criteria outlined in the Clean Water Act of being good or better, and good is not, I mean, that sounds like a pretty subjective term, but that is also, you know, a qualitative ranking based on a range of IBI scores. Um, above that is exceptional, and um, so it's exceeding warm water habitat requirements, and uh, there's a lot of stretches the river that are, are getting there. So that's really cool. So um, that's kind of where we are today in a general sense, uh, but I'd be happy to talk more about some specific projects and how they've benefited the fish community as well. Yeah, just to comment on that, Mike, I, I know, and, and you know this, I know guys that are targeting uh, smallmouth bass in the Cuyahoga now on a regular basis. I mean, there's a, there's a Facebook page and everything dedicated to that. And then uh, I've also, I haven't fished it for steelhead. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if you have, you probably have, uh, but I know guys have caught steelhead in there in recent years too, which is not native to Ohio, but still it's telling you that that water quality is there. So what a success story um, we have to share here for sure. Um, boy, I look, I look forward to getting up there and fishing myself. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, you can thank um, the removal of that Brexville dam that, that, Jen briefly touched on. That was a old dam, uh, 200 years it was in place on the river. Um, steelhead, which are wonderful but not native, and they're still an important part of the fish community, they were about the only species that could traverse or jump that dam. Um, walleye, smallmouth bass, you know, the, non, the, the non-game species, they were stuck at that dam if they were migrating up from downstream, Lake Erie or otherwise. So that removal of that dam in 2020, and again, multi-agency effort, um, we had involvement, but, you know, the National Park, EPA, lots of great partners involved. Um, that almost doubled the amount of water, and in fact, not just you know doubled it, but but more than doubled the amount of prime spawning habitat in the river for species like as you mentioned, smallmouth bass, which are wonderful native fish, um, walleye, um, um, catfish, suckers, lots of other species. So, um, since that dam was removed in. 2020. Um, we've already seen at least 
two species, and these are just the ones that are recorded. I'm pretty confident it's more quite a few more species than this. But big mouth buffalo and flathead catfish never recorded upstream of the dam have been um, found all the way up in Summit County as of May of this year. Wow. So, I mean, that, it's probably not surprising. You remove a barrier, fish move, yeah. but still, actually seeing seeing the proof is is pretty darn exciting. So, um, and then you know, as you mentioned, the smallmouth bass, um, it's not only going to open up lots more habitat for the migratory Lake Erie run fish that come up spring through early summer, but you know, for the native smallmouth that are in the river all year, it's yeah, it's going to be, it's only going to continue to improve, and that dam removal is just one highlight point that kind of illustrates that. In fact, when I mentioned the EPA data over the course of the last 40 years that showed consistent improvement, that because it isn't just like here's the score for the Cuyahoga River, it's score of the Cuyahoga River from the shipping canal all the way up to like Akron. So it's like checkpoints that, you know, wow. all the way up the river. Because the fish community is not static. It's it's variable based on where you're at. But the overall trend was improvement all along. The spot, the river mile of that Route 82, that Brexville Dam, was the, the lowest IBI score on the entire river, if you can believe that. And um, even lower than the shipping channel in um, – in um, Cleveland, and um, since its removal, you can imagine that's only jumped up dramatically. And I should also further clarify, you know, the dam its pool itself was a hot spot for fish. It was like the end of the road, lots of fish migrating sure. up. It was the area immediately upstream that was more stagnant and pooled, um, offered less niches. You know, you couldn't have, you can't have ripple run and pool species, and if it's just one long stagnant pool, right? So right. that was the real kind of sticking point, but. Definitely have seen an immediate improvement there that we only expect to continue to improve over time. Hey, hey Mike, you mentioned uh, about some of the projects that you guys are working on. Can you share a couple of those uh, with our listeners uh, of some of the exciting or, or new projects you're working on? One really cool recent one, um, and I'm going to defer to Jen to give details because she was really um, pivotally involved, um, our Scranton Flats project. But I will point out that was on the shipping channel of the Cuyahoga River where there was otherwise it, – it's like an oasis of habitat in a, kind of a, an otherwise very uniform bulkhead, drops right to deep water type of habitat. So, Jen, do you, can you share more on that? Sure. Um, that was a project that uh, finished in 2014 and had a number of partners. Uh, Cleveland Metro Parks was just one player with that. It was City of Cleveland and um, the Cuyahoga County, US EPA, Cuyahoga River Restoration, lots of partners. And um, it was uh, in conjunction with a towpath trail project, but um, acknowledging that habitat within the federal shipping channel is is nearly zero um, with the steel bulkheads that have this you know the vertical 90 degree slope so this was an opportunity to remove some of that bulkhead and um, I like to say we created these um, kind of bed and breakfast for fish that were traveling um, to the lake or upstream to more natural stretches and um, so it established um, some shallow areas, nursery areas, and um, really two acres of fish habitat within that shipping channel. And um, just within that section alone, the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District has documented um, 37 species of fish. And that's an amazing improvement when we think about just 50 years ago, we, we only had 
maybe one or two species in the in the river that were the most pollution tolerant. So, so great gains there. Um, that's just one example project. Um, and then we think about a variety of restoration projects that are not just happening along the Cuyahoga River itself, but also in the tributaries that flow into the Cuyahoga, since it's, it's all linked within that watershed. And, and we're really blessed here in Northeast Ohio to have some awesome watershed organization partners like West Creek Conservancy, Tinkers Creek Watershed Partners, Big Creek Connects, Friends of Crooked River. Uh, and so the fact that there are these groups that are um, working with local municipalities and also at the grassroots level with residents um, has been uh, really beneficial to over, overarching watershed health. Very good. Now, um, doubling back to the, the dam removal, uh, I know there's there's probably more activity to be done there. Is is that a, a long list, or uh, there's some some important ones to get out yet? <laughs> yes, <laughs> there is a very important one to remove, and um, that is referred to as the Gorge Dam in Cuyahoga Falls. Uh, this is a dam that is over 20 feet tall. Uh, it backs up water for more than a mile, and um, it is currently slated with a price tag of $150 million. Um, Holy smoke. Yes. The, but the awesome news is with the last year's passing of the bipartisan infrastructure bill, um, this is really a, a great pathway to um, enabling the the funding of that and um it's it's currently in design it's been through a number of feasibility studies of what to do with the sediment behind that dam and um so we may actually begin to see some movement on that here um late next year or in 2024 and uh we may see that dam come down um by 2025 actually oh that'd be awesome Geez, now, would that be the last dam that, that's uh, for the area of concern, Jen, or is that just, is there a few more on the list after that one? No, that's, that is the, the last that, that is one the last within one. our area of concern. That really is the upstream most reach of that area. Certainly, there, there's um, uh, an upstream dam for Lake Rockwell and part of um, City of Akron's drinking water, So, um, but that is not within the area of concern. Okay. And uh, so that that won't be addressed. <laughs> okay, I, I knew there was one up there. I just wasn't sure if that fell in within the jurisdiction or not. So, mm -hmm. hmm. ah, very good. Now, you'd mentioned a bunch of partners that are uh, that are working with you, and and we do know that uh, the Cuyahoga is central to the the uh, Cuyahoga National Park. Is that a good thing for the river uh, river work, river restoration? Uh, is it a good thing that to have the the national park associated with um, with the river? Is that where you're asking? Yeah, I know it's a good thing to be connected with the Great Lakes to access the uh, the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative. I was wondering if on the other end, uh, the being part of a national park was a good thing for for getting things done. Sure, um, they have been an excellent partner. They've been involved with the the 
advisory committee. But um, Cuyahoga Valley National Park even uh, really organized their strategic plan a number of years ago, specifically around the Cuyahoga River. They uh, acknowledged that that was really the linchpin to that national park. And, um, and so they did, did an inward look into their practices and their infrastructure to really evaluate um, how they could adjust those practices to be more beneficial to the river. So looking at things like um, unused roads and, and removing um, that, those hard surfaces, those impervious surfaces, looking at um, some restoration projects that they could complete. Um, they, have, they plant thousands and thousands of trees each year um, in uh, impacted areas. And um, they're also actively working on the Cuyahoga River main stem um, with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to um, look at overall river process and um, increased habitat that could be established by um, uh, really looking at stretches that may have been straightened out in the past and where could those um, more meanders be be re reinstalled and and so it they have been an excellent partner. Um, another area where they have really taken the lead um, and assisted is with the Cuyahoga River Water Trail. So that was um, established and and recognized by the state in 2019, and that's for the entire reach of the Cuyahoga River. It it, it really kind of chunks it up into different segments based on their their the type of river and the area. And um, the National Park has been a key player in um, coordinating that. That's a whole other set of groups and organizations. Certainly park districts have a big role. Um, and they have a river ranger that um, frequently patrols the stretch within their um purview and kind of looks at where there might be strainers for, for recreationists and, and, and removing those. So they have been really a, a wonderful partner. Um, it's, it's been great working with them. Oh, and I'd like to add to that as well, that in a, in a more general sense, you know, and the Cleveland Metro Parks and of course the Cuyahoga Valley National Park are two huge partners in most of these. Almost any of the restorations we're talking about today with very few, if any, exceptions are, you know, multi-agency collaborations. So it's it's just the area we live in. And, um, you know, in, in my experience, like there, you might hear when government agencies overlap duties a little or, you know, there can be some territoriality or, or not working well together. That has absolutely not been my experience with the conservation partners involved. I mean, and of course the Cog restoration, but pretty much any regional restoration we worked on, there's definitely a sense of like shared mission. There's actually excitement and, and shared synergy with, you know, we're all working towards the same goal. You may manage this land upstream. We may, may manage this land downstream, but we certainly recognize that, you know, any big scale watershed improvement project is going to involve that type of collaboration. So um, to me, that's actually one of the joys of working on projects like this is working with people and, you know, um, people bring their different skills and experiences to the table, and it, it just seems to work really well, and the Cuyahoga River is a great example of that. 
Well, that's that's awesome to hear because uh, we we do understand that rivers and watersheds don't understand these nice straight line boundaries that uh, politicians and states uh, like to draw. Uh, they go where they want to go and have to go. That's right. Now uh, we talked about dams a little bit, and we know that another uh, another impact on the river is the the sewage uh, systems that existed and exist today is there is there still uh good work to be done in that department yes um i alluded to earlier the northeast ohio regional sewer district and and their continued cleanup of of sewage they're under a consent decree with usda um to really capture as much of the historic combined sewer overflows as possible. And that culminates in what they have termed Project Clean Lake. And uh, that is multi-billion dollar um, program over a 20-year period. And we're actually halfway through that. And they have been delivering projects. Um, Some of those largest projects are um, what they call interceptor tunnels. So it's really these deep tunnels that intercept that sewage during times of um, big storm events so that the sewage treatment plants can catch up when it's not raining anymore. And um, that really leads to cleaner waterways and cleaner beaches. And um, it's been exciting to see them uh, stay on target, on budget, and um, see these waterways uh, begin to improve when it comes to those bacteria levels. Um, They also have been implementing a regional stormwater program, which is really key when we think about capturing the runoff from our hard surfaces, um, our impervious surfaces, our roads, roofs, uh, parking lots, and doing that in in a, a really overarching system, a regional system, instead of these little postage stamp projects that might not have a whole lot of impact. Um, And we've been able to work with them on that and and actually have our own stormwater reimbursement fund set up to contribute to stream restoration and and stormwater projects at Cleveland Metro Parks. But local municipalities also have a community cost share fund that they can access um, to better their stormwater practices as well. Uh, so those are those are a couple of examples of the types of work uh, in the in the stormwater and the sewage capture area. Very good. All right. Well, hey, we've spent a lot of time on uh, on where we've been with the river and, and what's been doing to 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 get it back, and and it is largely back. So. Uh, why don't we talk a bit about how people can get to enjoying what uh, what's laid out for us there in the Cuyahoga? Yeah, um, well, and I do have one other project I'd like to mention briefly before that. We talked about some of the you know the regulatory changes that have helped improve the river. Um, some of you know most of the other projects are more infrastructure related, dam removals, you know the Scranton wetland kind of restoration. Um, another cool direction, and this does tie into the future and and what we're going 
going to discuss to kind of wrap things up. But um, it's it's more of a fish reintroduction project that's under consideration. And um, I mentioned towards the beginning of this podcast that lake sturgeon were present in the Cuyahoga River at some point. We don't have a lot of information on the details of the populations, but they had been found and recorded in the river early on. You know, it had been over 100 years since a lake sturgeon was, was spotted in the river. But, you know, this is the kind of habitat. Um, they're, they're in Lake Erie. Um, they've been out there in small numbers. They are state endangered. The Maumee River undertook that big restoration that was been in the news since 2018. And the thought was, well, the Cuyahoga River's come a long way. It's big water. It's certainly potentially um, spawning habitat for Lake Sturgeon. So there is a multi-agency committee that's investigating that possibility. In fact, there is currently habitat availability work already underway, looking at um, you know spawning and rearing habitat in the, the river. Um, have some students working with the National Park and USGS and Fish and Wildlife Service on that. And um, the early data indicates there's probably even more potential spawning and rearing habitat in the Cuyahoga River than in the Maumee River, which was already given the green light to, to undergo the project of sturgeon reintroduction. So that's something exciting. It's not a given, but, you know, the feel is good that it, it could be happening in the coming years. And um, it would be a long-term vision project because, you know, lake sturgeon don't even reach maturity until 15 to 20 years old. And the goal would be to introduce them until there's a self-sustaining population. So that's another neat, more biological restoration project that's at least underway in the feasibility part of the project that could be a reality in the coming years. But as far as um, get it, people getting out enjoying the river, and as Jen mentioned, you know, there's, I mean, to make that connection and, and get public support, if, if people don't have access to the river and ways to enjoy it, it's, you know, maybe some of these improvements wouldn't mean a whole lot to them. Um, of course, fishing is one big sport, um, recreational undertaking people really enjoy in the region and certainly on the river. And um, I would actually, I'd characterize the river in, you know, certainly in recent years and even through this improvement as definitely being underappreciated and underutilized, at least as a fishery. There's more and more people that enjoy kayaking and paddle sports. But um, but it is growing. There's uh, you mentioned Chris the the smallmouth bass uh, fishery that's gaining recognition. Even I think you mentioned that's Facebook page something mm-hmm. like that. Yep. So it, it's it's getting there. People are realizing. But especially when you've had the horrible public press of the river, like Jen mentioned, it was the catalyst for the mistake on the lake moniker that I think we're finally shaking. Thankfully, but um, you know there's still that connotation. You don't want to go near the Cuyahoga River. It's dirty, which you know is for the most part not true it's 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 no worse than any other regional river and it's it's only continually improved so so as far as fishing opportunities and i did mention it's the river's already popular with paddle sports kayaking canoeing in my opinion a kayak canoe a raft if you have um if you, if you own one or maybe even rent one that offers a really excellent way to see a lot of the river to appreciate it and to fish a lot of lightly fished if hardly ever fished sections of the river for everything from you know smallmouth bass we already mentioned to northern pike if you're up near closer to kent to, to catfish and a whole host of species so we did touch on, you know, the steelhead that do stray into the river. They're not stocked by ODNR as they are in, in six other regional streams. But the Cuyahoga River is sandwiched between a few of those streams and having a good healthy flow and cleaning water. It does entice a lot of stray steelhead into the 
the system, which actually offer a, a fishery. There's enough of them there that especially in spring, fall through spring, people do target them. So um, the river is on a short list being considered by the state to stock steelhead, certainly with the dam removal and the increasing public access. Those are big pieces of puzzle before that's given a go. But um, that could happen in the future. It's not a given, but it's looking promising. And um, I just, I really enjoy the writings of Matt Stansberry. He really merges writing and, and conservation stories. He just has a talent, in my opinion. Um, we can include a link on your Facebook page. I think he paints a wonderful photo of the where we are with the, the fishery of the river, especially focused on steelhead, in a story he penned called Cuyahoga Steel. So it's... You know, and it isn't just a fishing story. He talks about recovery of the river, what it means to him, what it means to the people of the region. He just does a great job, in my opinion, and, and shows how, while not native, they still make a really wonderful connection to the wildness of the river and appreciation for the river. So that's something I would encourage your listeners to check out. Um, and then I guess on a final note, as far as fishing opportunities, I'll point out, um, and this is Metro Park's managed uh, area at this point, uh, at Wendy Park, right where the beautiful Cuyahoga River meets Lake Erie in downtown Cleveland, there's an old Coast Guard station there. And um, that offers a lot of public access, great fishing seasonally for walleye, yellow perch, believe it or not, because they're, they're a species in decline that people seem to have a hard time finding in the lake anymore. But, you know, when you get in the late summer, early fall, you can target perch there, um, big channel catfish, among other species. And we actually did a interactive fish display kind of designed by our, our wonderful visual communications team to fit in with kind of the, the rust belt history of that region to, to look like an aged weathered sign. But I guess you have to see it to appreciate it. But it highlights um, over two dozen of the more common, more important species that frequent that area of the river in the Lake Erie Harbor, as well as just some of more of just unique and of interest. And when I say interactive, they each species uh, image has a QR code on there. So using a smartphone, you can go to either an information page or a video it links to to learn more. So um, I'd certainly encourage your your listeners, um, grab your kayak, rent one, or go down to the Coast Guard Station or some other spot on the river where there's access if you don't have, have that that option and um, check out the river this year it's it's an excellent place to go fishing and the future looks even brighter yeah you, you got me really excited there mike talking about the possibility with some steelhead there in the future um, I, I know we had kevin kale on a, a show earlier i know he's now retired but as you know he was um, part of that steelhead program here in ohio and he mentioned that that hopefully in the future, I asked him, I said, five years from now, where do you see the Ohio Steelhead program going? And he said, hopefully we could get some fish into the, to Cuyahoga on a regular basis. So, and you know what I'm talking about, Mike, when it comes to access. We have a hard time in a lot of the rivers, uh, especially east of Cleveland, with access. And if you have all that public access in the Cuyahoga that you're mentioning, how wonderful that would be to just walk forever and not have to worry about being on private property. Yeah, that's a wonderful point. And yeah. actually, this is probably a good point to interject the point of confusion with a lot of local river anglers. You can float through any of our, our rivers without worrying about permission. But the moment you even put a foot out on the bottom of the river, 
And the confusion is because this varies by state. In Ohio, the landowner, whether it's public or private property, they own the land under the water. So you can't just wade through private property. That's where it's wonderful to have all the Cleveland Metro Parks, uh, Cuyahoga Valley National Park, Summit Park land on the river. You can wade and walk those. But um, it, it, be aware that you can float through private property in Ohio, and that's not a problem. So it just seemed like a good point to clarify that. Yeah, for, for um, sure. I also point out um, – sorry to interrupt. No um, there is a – if you're just – and sometimes, you know, you're out there. You're walking a stretch of river. You, some river anglers who walk a couple miles in a day – Am I on public property still? Even if you're looking at a map, it can be hard to tell exactly yeah. where you are. Yeah. Cleveland Metro Parks has a free app. Just go to your app store, look up Cleveland Metro Parks. It's a whole um, GPS, GIS kind of linked um, app where it shows you, at least if you're in Cleveland Metro Parks, whether or not you're on public property property boundaries or not and um so if you're on the green on that app and you'll see exactly where you are um you're good um if you're on property that's that's white or private or not clue much parks then you know it's on you to make sure you have permission or otherwise make sure you avoid those areas yeah yeah hey, um two other questions might kind of back to the lake sturgeon uh, and then i have a lake trot question for you you knew that was coming um <laughs> but on the lake sturgeon is that um where did we obtain these the eggs for the sturgeon when we originally introduced them into the mommy is that a great lakes um sturgeon that we find in lake st Clair? because i've actually caught uh, snagged i should say or foul hooked one one time on lake st Clair fishing for muskie i think don you were with me that i thought i had the world record muskie on here was a sturgeon (laughs) you know well first of all i'll say you it sounds like you and i need to fish together we have a lot in common i've actually targeted sturgeon on the st Clair river and i love fishing muskies in the detroit river but that's another conversation yes um great question about the origin of the sturgeon eggs you know and and i'll back up and say whether it's planting trees and with our our staff in cleveland much parks whether it's reintroducing a sturgeon you know we are in an area of being um, conscientious of native genotypes, native whenever possible. So if the fish stock are there of the native type, we use it whenever we can. That might not have been the case before we really understood the implication of, you know, native organisms and genetics going back, you know, 50 to 100 years. But it, it definitely is always the preference now. So with that said, um, those are Great Lakes stock sturgeon. Um, they are raised in a U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service hatchery in Wisconsin. And um, the, the Maumee River was an interesting one because in that case, they were doing a test. They were seeing kind of like the juvenile steelhead are stocked in our rivers during the imprinting stage where their little primitive brain says, this is where I was born, even though they weren't really born there. That's the the stage of development where they kind of make it, that recognition. They were There was you know concerns over whether or not sturgeon that were raised in a hatchery in Wisconsin stocked in the Maumee River would have as good a return rates as ones that were raised um, on, in this case, it was a specially developed streamside rearing trailer that used Maumee River water. I understand there was a lot of logistical challenges and, and things like that. The, and again, these fish don't mature till 15 or 20 years, so we'll see where we are then. But the, the early evidence tracking these fish in Lake Erie is the survival rates in Lake Erie of the recaptured juvenile sturgeon between the half of them that were raised in the Wisconsin hatchery and a half of them that were Still Wisconsin eggs, but raised in Maumee River water, the survival rate was almost exactly the same. So 
that's promising because it shows you don't have to go through the effort and expense of putting in specialized trailers, which are subject to a lot of points of potential failure. So in this case, for the Cuyahoga River project, if it moves forward, it would use Great Lakes sturgeon, but they would probably most likely be raised in a Wisconsin hatchery based on you know the early promising survival we're seeing with the fish from the other regional project. Okay, that that's good. That's that's the answer I wanted to hear too. <laughs> uh, the next question, Lake Trout, and and um, this this is importance to Lake Erie because it's the first time in sixty years, as you know, Mike, they had documented natural reproduction of lake trout. Um, yep. Is that something that that would be using the Cuyahoga River, or historically, do you think maybe, or is uh, they use the, the the mouth of the um, the Cuyahoga, or is that more of a lake spawning? Uh, trout, not a river run trout. Is that? Um, yeah. Can you share any thoughts on that? Yeah, great question. Well, I'll I'll lead by just saying they're called lake trout. <laughs> they will come up rivers, but okay. they're not named that by accident. Okay. Um, it's a great question, and they do come up rivers, so it's a fair question. But it, it appears that most of the lake trout that end up in our regional streams, the Grand River is one that seems to draw more. So. I would speculate that's because of the, the bigger flow, bigger river, more likely to draw those fish are not as um, pre-programmed to run a river as, say, a steelhead trout would be. I would say the Cuyahoga River, that's definitely a possibility. And you can't make, you know, as you get further east in Lake Erie, you get deeper, more traditional, what we call salmonid trout and salmon habitat. And lake trout are the coldest water loving of all the, the salmon or trout that are found in Lake Erie, most of which are non-native. This one happens to be native, of course. Um, but I will point out that the current Ohio state record lake trout was caught a couple of years ago in the fall in Lorraine, which is obviously quite a bit still west of the Cuyahoga River, mm-hmm. um, by somebody trolling for walleye um, in the fall. So I don't see any reason as lake trout continue to you know, recover in Lake Erie um, that a few I, – I won't ever think it'll be a place you could target them. Nobody even targets them in the Grand River where most of them are probably caught here in Ohio. But I would say occasionally I would not be surprised if somebody turns up a lake trout. And I will say this was a real surprise catch. And this is going back – boy, I've been here at Clay Metro Parks about 17 years, and it was in the earlier years of my time here. So I'll say it was at least 15 years. It was close to 15 years ago. Our local sewer district was electrofishing the shipping channel in the Cuyahoga River and they turned up a 27-inch lake trout. So, wow. I mean, there's at least one example, and, and you know, the, the lake trout program's really caught on and, and it, it flourished since then. So I think it's a possibility. But I can't just, even though we're talking Cuyahoga River, I have to back up, and you mentioned that, that lake trout that was found for the first time in a long time mm-hmm. naturally reproduced in Lake Erie, because most of these are also, like we talked about sturgeon, produced in a U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service hatchery out of state and stocked in, in Lake Erie, and they're marked. Not only was that lake trout fly caught about a year ago by New York DEC, um, the first in a long time, it was the first time in over 100 years that they found a juvenile lake trout in Lake Erie. Wow. It doesn't, you know, it's a needle in a haystack thing going on. It probably occurred in small background amounts, you know, previous to that, but it's still, it was a, it was a landmark moment to make that recognition. 
And, you know, one of the big challenges they've had on the rockier reefs in the lake that they tend to spawn on their fall spawning fish, um, a lot of those historic spawning grounds have been covered with zebra mussels, uh, especially the deeper, and quagga mussels in the deeper water, which have a whole host of reasons why they're not as good for spawning as, as clean rock substrate. So where New York EC and some of the other partners like Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission and um, USGS kind of adapted looking for these juvenile lake trout, it seems like they've adapted to spawning a little bit shallower in the more wave-washed regions where there's less zebra mussel colonization. So it's kind of a cool story. You know, it's not conclusive, but it appears that, you know, these fish have moved into shallowing, spawning in shallower areas where there's less zebra mussel. So that's another cool success story, though, where, you know, I expect continued improvement. Um, I personally enjoy going out to the Eastern Basin, and I actually jig for lake trout the last couple of years with, with good success and um they're a beautiful fun native fish so yes, they... i look forward to the future and seeing how they continue to to flourish but um yeah i wouldn't be surprised if in the coming years you know in the fall you see a couple turn up here or there around the cuyahoga river yeah that would be great for sure all right well we've we've turned over a lot of stones is there any that we've left uh, that need attention I just wanted to invite people to get involved um, in their own way. Uh, Cleveland Metro Parks hosts a watershed volunteer program where people can help with monitoring water quality, but also getting involved in some of the restoration projects that we talked about through native planting of trees and shrubs or invasive plant removal, all sorts of activities. We also offer learning modules to really get into the the details about some of what we've discussed. Um, And I wanted to invite anyone listening to apply to be part of our Cuyahoga River Area of Concern Advisory Committee. We do have members of the public on the committee, and each year we put out a call for interested citizens uh, it comes out about September timeframe, um, and it's a, a two-year term that starts in January. So be on the lookout for that. Um, we'll give you a, a link to our page um, to, for you to post on your, your Facebook post. So, And then lastly, I wanted to highlight, Mike talked to, um, about all of the paddling opportunities. And for any boaters out there, uh, July 23rd, is Blazing Paddles. It's hosted by a nonprofit called Share the River, and it is out of um, Rivergate Park. There are hundreds of canoes and kayaks and stand-up paddle boards that um, just get together and, and paddle together. Share the River has worked with the shipping industry, so there aren't any freighters going through the river at that time. Um, so it's a safe and fun environment um, for people to really engage firsthand with the river, and we, we welcome you to join us. Very good. Okay, that, that's it then. Well, thank you very much, uh, Jen and Mike, for your time this morning. I, I really found this to be very interesting. I, I'm really excited for the future of the Cuyahoga. I think it's going to be a destination for me. I can tell you that right now uh, for chasing steelhead and smallmouth. I think uh, I'm really looking forward to, to having access to so many miles of river. Absolutely. It's only yeah. an arm length away yeah, for us. It's not far. Yeah, thanks for having us. And and the arm length away thing, you know, somebody pointed out earlier, the with the gas prices, what they are, yeah. the shorter that arm length, the better, right? Isn't that the truth? You got it. Yeah. Well, thanks again. I think it's a great show, and we appreciate your time. Thanks for having us. Thank you both. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, I've learned a lot. Um, I think uh, I'm ready to 
pay a visit. Uh, Absolutely. The, the, the Cleveland Metro Parks uh, uh, has really done a great job up there. Um, the Cuyahoga River is uh, is really not just uh, – it's well on the mend, I should say. It's uh, it's. I don't want to say it's fixed yet, but it's well on its way. Yeah, for it's, sure, uh, for sure. It's certainly ready to be a, a destination. Well, I know I'm excited to try it, and I, I'll be honest with you, I've never fished it before, and I know I'm going to do. I'm going to try next spring. I'll I, I'll make this promise. I'm going to try and do a little steelheading there. Um, I know they don't stock it, but they do get a, a run of fish there. Like Mike mentioned, there are steelhead that enter the river, and and they are. Um, you have access to them and there's plenty of public access there. That's what I love about it is there's so much public access through the Cleveland Metro parks and then getting into the Cuyahoga national park and all that. There's uh, tons of miles and miles of stream. You could walk and fish. And uh, I, I look forward to trying it for sure. Yeah. Same here. I've not fished it, but I have spent some time in the Cuyahoga Valley national park and uh, there's trails that, that take you right along. Yeah, and along. it's, it's a beautiful river and very accessible. Yeah. Yeah, what a success story. I am I really appreciate Jennifer's time and Mike, too. I know they're busy with everything, but boy, I, I really enjoyed that podcast. That's It's nice to talk about some good things out there that are happening, for oh, sure. Yeah, yeah I got to say one thing. Uh, Mike mentioned that there's an app for the Cleveland Metro Parks. He understated that app. I downloaded that thing. I've played around with it. Oh, you liked it? Oh, man. <laughs> that thing, if you want to go there, that's you gotta you gotta download that thing uh, that's it, nice it's it gives you maps of trails uh access areas he he understated it that thing's awesome that's good well listeners can download that too i know i'll do that too yeah 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 you got to get that uh, for sure well worth it the other thing you know in the podcast we talked about the cuyahoga valley national park yeah uh that's another podcast down the road we have a whole lot to talk about that not today yeah uh, but yeah, that'll be another podcast yep. for sure but for now uh you know kudos to to the cleveland metro parks and uh and all the activities with the cuyahoga river restoration that, that's for sure so anything else don nah i think uh Thanks i that? think we're good to go i okay. think uh oh i should say one more thing it's one of those places you can access with your feet so yeah uh, you know once you drive or, there or bike yeah yeah, you don't have to burn. Yeah. You don't have to burn a bunch of gas in the boat or yeah. or uh, your vehicle. Once That's you right. get there with the bike and your feet, you're good to go. Yeah, there's a lot to see. No, so thanks again to our guest Jennifer and to Mike. We appreciate your time and uh, all the hard work you guys are doing out there. Yep. Hey, get out there in uh, your 120, and if your 120 includes uh, the Cleveland Metro Parks, pay it a visit. Yeah.